0: Well, it is that time of the year, isn't it? Christmas time with all the activities, all the things that are going on, and part of what makes Christmas Christmas is the music, isn't it? And we just all have have kind of the, those songs that, that that are just special to us this time of the year. And so, I thought we're gonna we're gonna be talking about the songs of Christmas, but I thought let's just take a moment and, and find out what what are some of our favorite songs of Christmas here. So I'm we'll do one section at a time here all right so don't jump in yet all right this section here just just a few shout outs what are some of your favorite christmas songs oh holy night Night. silent night god rest ye merry gentlemen mary Mary did you know know. okay all right very good very good this is a real spiritual group over here all right and no no rudolph yet how about this group here some favorite christmas songs what would you build on jingle bells there you go i'm sorry away in the manger the grinch all right (laughs) excellent all right these are my people right here all right how about over here what are some others came upon a midnight clear joy to the world i'm sorry Christmas shoes. White Christmas. White Christmas. All right. Some classics here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Songs are just such a part of, uh, of the season, part of kind of what makes Christmas Christmas. You kind of tune into some of those songs. And, and what you find is that a lot of times there's a song, but there's a story behind the song. Uh, let's take Joy to the World. I think that was mentioned over here. Uh, Joy, Joy to the World uh, was written by a man by the name of Isaac Watts. And Isaac, uh, in the 1700s, as a, as a young man, actually a teenager, uh, was attending a church. And the, the custom of the church of that day in Europe was their singing was pretty much singing the Psalms. That was the songbook of the Bible. And so you sang the Psalms. That, that's what you did. Uh, what Watts struggled with is what flowed well in Hebrew didn't necessarily flow well in English translations. And so sometimes those were very difficult songs to sing. And at one uh, time of gathering for worship, as a 15-year-old can do, he, he just thought, the, the worship was atrocious and a deacon said to him well if you can do better young man give us something better and Watts took up the challenge and he began to write a hymn that very day and it kind of birthed this this passion for writing hymns and he began to write and write and write. And in 1719, he published a, a, a kind of a conglomerate work of, of his. It was called The Psalms of David Imitated. It wasn't the Psalms of David, but it was, it was imitating the, the songwriting of David. And so when you come to Joy to the World, Joy to the World grew out of the last part of the 98th Psalm. Psalm 98, kind of the last part. He drew from a couple other places in Scripture too, but primarily taking that 98th Psalm and rewriting it and rethinking it in terms of Jesus Christ, the story behind the song. Well, what we want to do in this series of messages is, we want to look at some songs, Christmas songs in scripture. Next week, we're going to look at the song of Simeon. Uh, The week after that, Christmas Eve, we're going to look at Mary's song. But this week, we want to begin uh, by looking at a guy by the name of Zachariah and his song, which we just can call a song of faith. And like so many of the Christmas songs we know and love, there's a story behind this song. And I think the story and the song can teach us something powerful if we will allow it to. And behind the question, behind the story, behind the song is a question. And the question is this, and maybe it's a question that you're actually living with right now. And the question goes like this, can God be trusted even when he is silent? We all go through seasons of silence when it seems that God isn't speaking and God isn't moving and we can't see. Can God be trusted even when he is silent? Let's look at Zachariah's song and the story behind the song. A little background will help us. If you can think about when the New Testament opens, when the gospels open, when this narrative of those first chapters of Luke and Matthew open up, what we have is 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 a gap. A gap between the end of the Old Testament, particularly the prophet Malachi, and the beginning of the gospel records. But there's a cl- there's a clue of what is yet to come in Malachi. Malachi under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit wrote, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children the hearts of the children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction and so here in Malachi he, he is he is foreshadowing what is going to happen what it is that God's going to do but here's the catch between these words of Malachi and the opening words of the gospel we have 400 years of silence 400 years sometimes when we read the bible we don't appreciate time because we just read chapter and then you turn the page and you're somewhere else there is this incredible gap 400 years let's put that into some perspective all right if you, if you trace the kind of the, the birth of our nation, I know, I know it was in process, but if you go back to 1776, the Declaration of Independence, our nation is not even 250 years old yet, right? And so you think about all the history of the United States from the Declaration of Independence to today, and you're still 150, almost 160 years Years short of this gap, of this gap of silence. But in that silence, God was preparing. God was preparing for Christmas. He was preparing for the coming of Jesus Christ. And there's so many ways that he was doing that. But let's just look at the the conditions, if you will, on the ground. The reality that Jesus came in his fullness of time. There was a common language. Uh, The Greek language was the language of commerce. And so uh, across all of these uh, different uh, countries and regions, there was this common language, the Greek language... uh, People were educated in it. There was used in commerce. The Old Testament scriptures had been translated from the the Hebrew, the Aramaic, to the Greek, the Septuagint translation, and so all of this groundwork had been laid in that four hundred year period. There was a unified empire, the Pax Romana. Now, that Pax sometimes came at at a brutal cost. We understand they were sometimes quite ruthless along the way. But what it meant is that. There was great stability, and even if there was an occasional uprising, the strength of the Roman Empire would move in and, and tamp that down, and so it, it gave a way for business and commerce and travel and different ideas to be able to have room to flourish along the way because of this uh, unification across the empire, and then there was this, an extensive system of roads, and because of that peace, because of the power, then they built this extensive system of roads and those roads would be the pathways that the gospel would go out eventually from Jerusalem and Judea all across the empire and so all of this groundwork had been laid in this 400 years of silence and so in the midst of that at the end of this period God moves God breaks his silence and he speaks And he speaks to Zechariah. Zechariah is one of the the priests. And we begin to find a little of his story in Luke chapter 1. So I want to invite you to kind of back up to Luke chapter 1 verse 5. And I want us to discover a few things about the backstory before we come to the contents of Zechariah's song. And the first thing I want you to see is that he was a faithful priest. He was a faithful priest, verse 5, in the days of Herod. The silence was not just a, a silence of 400 years, but for Zechariah for Elizabeth, it was a personal silence, a silence as they had cried out for a child, and, and God had not answered, and they, they, they had no movement and no activity, and yet even in the midst of that silence, you find Zachariah being faithful, Zachariah walking in righteousness, walking in a blameless pathway, even in the midst of silence, you find here a faithful priest. But then God speaks. God begins to move through this angelic messenger. And what we discover is a faithful priest can also be at times a fearful priest. A fearful priest. Let's continue to follow his story. Verse 8, now while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Now let's pause here for just a moment. Please understand what's happening here. He's faithfully carrying out his duties. And then a lot is drawn. His his particular division is on duty at the temple, and they draw a lot. And in the drawing of that lot One priest has the opportunity to go into the most holy place, not the Holy of Holies, which is on the other side of the veil, this most holy place. And one of the things that's in there is this altar of incense right before the veil, right before the curtain that separates the Holy of Holies. And he's going to have the privilege of offering that incense in that place. Now, this would have been the pinnacle of his priesthood, if you will, Because you only get to do this once in your life. Once you've done this as a priest, your name will never be back in that that lot again. And so this is his one time in his entire life that he's going to get to step into this place. And he's going to offer that incense before the veil. And as he does the unexpected Must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before them in the spirit and the power of Elijah, exactly what Malachi had talked about 400 years before to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared and so here here is this this he's gone in this once in a lifetime moment he's read the manual he knows what it is you're supposed to do he has spoken to other priests who have done this before nobody told him about an angel and in that moment God breaks silence in that moment God breaks through with an announcement and that is so Terrifying, it's so troubling that it creates all of this fear and angst in his heart. But not only was he fearful, but that fear fed a lack of faith. And so we find a a faithless priest, even as he had been so faithful for so long, in this crisis moment, he responds out of fear and he responds with a lack of faith. Verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time and the people were waiting for zachariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple and when he came out he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute so here in this moment of fear he responds not in faith but in a lack of faith and and to prepare him god strikes him silent and so for this nine months he is going to be unable to speak he is going to be silent and yet even though he wasn't faithful full of faith in this moment God still visited him with favor and he was a favored priest verse 23 after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent, and we'll, we'll follow that narrative in verse uh, 26 and in following in the weeks ahead as we look at look at Mary's story. But here in this moment, even despite the fact that he didn't exercise faith God favored him. And by the way, aren't you glad that God operates that way? Aren't you glad that God doesn't wait and bestow favor on us when our faith is perfect? Aren't you glad that God is so gracious and so kind that even at times when we're fearful, even at times when we draw back in in hesitation, even when we don't exercise faith, God still moves forward his purpose. God still visits us and touches us with his favor, his mercy, his grace along the way. And so we find this favored priest now, if we fast forward over to verse 57, uh, we, we come to this moment when, when there is now the, the birth of this child. We've gone forward nine months in time, and we find now a filled priest. He is a filled priest. Look at verse 57. Now, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zachariah after his father, because that's what you most commonly did in that day. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. For the hand of the Lord was with him, verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Saying So he, here he is gone on this journey of, of, of being faithful and having this, this encounter with God that filled him with fear and, and in his fear he, he drew back and didn't operate out of faith and, and God, God put a period of silence upon him. He was going to do a work in Zechariah through that period of silence but even in that silence God's favor rested upon him as that child was conceived and it was born and, and as God had been Working in Zechariah's life, he came to this point that his, his lips were finally loosed and he was filled with God's Spirit. And that becomes the backdrop for him beginning to sing this psalm. You see, in the silence, God was preparing Zechariah for Christmas. In the silence, God was preparing Zechariah to be the man that he needed to be to be the father that John the Baptist needed him to be to fulfill his God-given role. In the silence, God was preparing Zechariah. And even the name John is filled with meaning. John means God is gracious, gift of God. And that's what he was. He was a gift of God to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He, he was a, a marker of God's graciousness, but he was a gift to the nation of Israel as he was going to be used by God to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, for the one who was going to come after him. And so this, this gracious hand of God has visited, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth has visited the nation of Israel, and his hand is upon John as this, this favored one, as this one to prepare the way. And that leads to, Zachariah filled with the Holy Spirit beginning to prophesy in this this song this song of faith and in this song of faith that we'll see in these next few verses he gives us several pictures several pictures of the work of Christ, telling us of the one who is to come, even as John would point us, prepare us for the one that was to come. And let's just look at some of these pictures. The first picture is the picture of a redeemer, of a redeemer. Verse 68, blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his People, uh, we, we don't maybe use that word or particularly use it in exactly the same way today when we talk about redeeming. Uh, maybe we do redeem points or whatever it might be along the way. But here, redeemer is to be set free. To be set free by paying a price. That one of the things that God was going to do through Jesus Christ, that he was going to set his people free. He was going to set people free from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, from the dominion of sin, the rule of sin. Ultimately, he was going to remove his people from the very presence of sin. But in order to do that, a price had to be paid. And that price was the perfect life. And the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ. And as you go uh, throughout the New Testament, you go just a little later in Luke's gospel, Jesus understood this Redeemer to be a central part of his message. As he found himself in the place of worship, a scroll was given to him. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That part of Jesus' understanding of his mission from the prophet Isaiah was he was going to be one who was going to set people free. He was going to set them free. He was going to give them a liberty and he was going to do that by redeeming by paying a price with his life and his death. And so Zachariah with this song, this Christmas song that reminds us we have a redeemer We have one who did for us what we could not do for ourselves, who paid a price that we could never, ever, ever, ever pay on our own. There's the picture of the Redeemer, but there's another picture in this song, and it's the picture of a Savior. It's the picture of a Savior. Let's look at these next few verses. Verse 69, and is raised up a horn of salvation for us will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins. One of the roles that Jesus was going to fill, he was going to be a savior. He was going to bring salvation. We were in a position because of our sin that we could not rescue ourselves. We couldn't buy our way out. We couldn't earn our way out. We couldn't perform our way out. But Jesus came to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He rescued us. He saved us from the just punishment of our sin and again that is inherent in the identity of jesus from the beginning so part of those christmas passages we love luke 2 the angel making proclamation fear not for behold i bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people and what is the content of that good news of great joy for unto you is born this day in the city of david a savior A Savior who is Christ the Lord. Zechariah filled with the spirit is, is prophesying the roles of this, this one who is to come. He is going to be the redeemer because he's going to pay the, pay the price. Because he's going to pay the price, he's going to be the savior. He's going to be the one that will do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And part of that salvation is he's going to offer to us forgiveness. Forgiveness. Again, back to verses 76 and 77. He talks about you're going to go before him and prepare the way to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins forgiveness is the picture of sending away of dismissing a debt and again you have this picture throughout scripture the psalmist put it this way as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us that which we have carried that which is is part of our our identity at times he's taken it he's taken it upon himself and he's he's sent it away even as the on the day of atonement the the Hebrew nation gathered with those those goats and one of the the goats was they laid the, the symbolically the sins upon the people and they led the goat away it was it was taking away of those sins sending it away on the cross Jesus Christ cried out, it is finished. Debt has been paid, paid in full. The debt has been canceled because Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid it all. And so John would fulfill this role of the forerunner And what the Gospels record for us about his ministry is as Jesus was beginning his public ministry as an adult, John pointed toward him, identified him. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. The picture of the forgiver The one who sends away our sin, takes away our sin fully and completely cancels our debt. But there's one more picture I want to lift up this morning from from these words of Zechariah and that is the dawning of a new day. The, The picture of this new day that is upon us because of Jesus Christ. Verse 78 because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of Peace. That there is something new. We talk about a new covenant. It is a new day. It is the dawning of a new day. Something new that God is uniquely doing in Jesus Christ. Foreshadowed and told in advance in the Old Testament, but now being fulfilled here in Jesus Christ. This dawning of a new day. And so you find that picture of light, of of, of a new day, all throughout the New Testament. Matthew's Gospel. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has Dawned, that God was doing something new, that he was bringing a light, he was bringing a revelation and an opportunity and grace and mercy in fresh new ways. When Paul was writing to the Colossians about what Christ had done, he captures some of these images and weaves them together. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the Redeemer, and the forgiveness of sins." All of these things God was preparing to do in the fullness of time at just the right moment in sending Jesus Christ. And John was the forerunner of that. John was going to play this instrumental role that Malachi had prophesied along the way. And it was all unfolding. Yes, there had been silence, but God was at work in the midst of it. Now, before we go any further, let me just pause and say why do we celebrate Christmas? Well why does the church get fired up about Christmas? It's not just because we like to hear Bing Crosby, right? It's not even that we're just really excited about trees and lights and even beautiful music. It's because of what Christmas represents. It's God breaking through. God breaking through to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. God providing a redeemer, a savior. The forgiveness of our sin, the canceling of our debt, uh, bringing a new life and a new light into our life, the dawning of a brand new age. And here, here is our desire and here is our prayer. This is why all of the activity, this is why all of the music, this is why all that we do, because we know that the greatest gift of all is not going to be one that's parked in your driveway. It's not going to be one that's under a tree. And you may get some awesome gifts this Christmas. I hope you do. But what we know to the core of our being is the greatest gift has already been given. And it was one that none of us could afford to buy. It was the gift of Jesus Christ. The one who, only one, who was qualified to be redeemer, savior, forgiver, and the bringer of a new age. And our hope and prayer is that you'll not just know about that gift, but that you will personally receive that gift that you won't walk out of this room from this Christmas-type service without knowing Jesus Christ personally by repenting of your sin, by placing your faith and trust in the completed, finished work of Christ and Christ alone, and surrendering your past, your present, and your future to Him as not only your forgiver, but your rightful leader and Lord. And so here is my offer, my encouragement to you today. Before you leave this room, have a conversation. Have a conversation with God, but have a conversation with one of us. And we've got a team of folks that's going to be available in the back of our worship center right there under that Connect banner. And their whole purpose in hanging out there at the close of our service is to have a conversation with you to have a conversation with you so that we can talk a little more fully and completely, a little more privately if needed, about how you can receive the greatest gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, to receive what Jesus Christ uniquely can do for you. Let today be the day that you receive that greatest gift of all, You see, God was at work, and he was bringing it all together here, beginning in Zechariah and Elizabeth, and later, as we'll see through through Mary and Joseph, and John was the prophet of the Most High, introducing to Israel the son of the Most High who was conceived in Mary's womb by the power of the Most High. And even while it seemed God was silent, even while it seemed that God wasn't at work, the Most High God was at work. God knew what He was doing. And in the fullness of time, in the completion of His purposes, by His power, He brought all of these pieces and all of these people together as only He can do. And so, what I want to do is to, to kind of bring this to, to, a, to a point with just one word of, I hope, encouragement for some of us here today. And that is simply this what Zechariah's song reminds us, what Zechariah's story reminds us, is that even in silence, God is at work. Even in silence. Now, let's fast forward. Several hundred years. This is what I know. I know that every one of us go through seasons of silence. Seasons when you're not sure. Maybe you're not sure God's there, or if you're kind of sure He's there, you're not sure He's listening and you're really sure you're not hearing anything from him. And what I know is, in and out of this room this morning, over three services, there's going to be quite a few people who are in the middle of a season of silence. See, we have folks that are like Zachariah and Elizabeth, and they've been crying out to God for a child. And it seems like God's silent. And they wonder God, do you know? Are you there? Do you care? And it just seems silent. And there's some who are, have a child but that child is walking in some directions that that are breaking their heart, and they've made some decisions that that, that you're fearful of, and you just you watch and you feel helpless, and you, you you've tried everything, you you've bribed, you've threatened, you've brought consequences to bear, you've done this, that, or the other, and all of these things, and nothing seems to work. And day after day after day after day, you've cried out to God, and all that seems to be happening is silence. We have folks that lost jobs. They reach out and they do everything you're supposed to do. They're networking, they're linking in and all these things and they're interviewing and silence. The offer doesn't come. And we have people who are Keep walking to the next doctor, the next doctor, the next doctor. And nobody can figure out what's going on. The reports are confusing and inconclusive. And the money keeps going out, and no answers come back. And they're physically worn out. They're sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it just seems silent. And there, folks, it's just not working. The relationship's not working. You've read the books. You've asked people to pray. Maybe you sought counsel. You've cried out to God. And it just seems to be silent. And I could go on and on and on, but you don't need me to tell you what a season of silence feels like. Because some of you are there right now. Some of you have been there. And most likely, if we hang around long enough, we'll be there again. But here's what I want to remind you of. Even in silence god is at work in fact is if you go through this bible what you find is that god often does some of his best work in silence he gave this this calling to abraham you're going to be the father of many nations and then year after year after year after year and nothing happens and it seems like crickets and, and God, are you really doing anything? Yes, God was working. He was roughing kind of those rough edges off of Abraham to prepare him to be the father of the nations. Moses, on the backside of the desert, feeling like a failure. He wasn't just there for a couple of weeks. Month after month, year after year, 40 years. Silence. It's really silent in the desert. And then God shows up in a burning bush. Because in the silence, he's prepared Moses to be the man who can uniquely go and lead his people out of captivity in Egypt. David, the king, who would be the the forerunner, who would be the... Jesus would be in his lineage david nobody wrote on david's yearbook most likely to succeed right his family didn't think a whole lot of him when they found out hey one of your family's going to be king nobody even had the wildest thought that it could have been david you send him out to the south Forty, right just send him out there and let him do his thing And night after night after night, fighting off animals, taking care of the sheep, forgotten by your family, in silence, God was shaping the heart of a warrior poet who would be king, whom Jesus Christ would come out of his lineage. On and on and on and on it goes. We hear this Damascus Road experience of Paul, and and sometimes we we read it and we think, well, Paul did that, and like the next day, he's just like writing New Testament letters and all these things, but actually God kind of took him off. And so for over a decade, you don't hear much from Paul. There's silence because God is preparing the man that he's going to use to take the gospel throughout that empire. The man who would, God would use to write the letters that we hold in our hands as Scripture today. God does some of his best work in silence. But let me take you back to the beginning. What do you do when God is silent? You keep showing up. Remember what the first thing we said about Zachariah? He was faithful. He was faithful. He kept doing what he knew God had called him to do. He kept walking before the Lord in righteousness and blamelessness. And that's what God can do. Even when he is silent... As we continue to do the last thing He's called us to do, when we continue to show up in faithfulness, as we continue to show up, God does the work. God is molding us. God is shaping us. But only if we keep showing up and we remain faithful. Because when we do what we discover, whether it's two weeks, two months, two years, two decades, or 400 years is that even in silence, God is at work. I'm just going to invite you to give God a little silence, to give him a little space in which he can speak to our lives. Let's go still before him, please. Father, we have to confess that silence makes us uncomfortable. Most of us don't tolerate silence well in our relationships, in a conversation with a person. We seem always to want to fill the background of our life with sound to escape the silence. And yet, Father, there's a part of us that understands that you do some of your best work in silence. So Father, I just, just ask. Lord, I ask on behalf of some folks in this room right here, right now, who are in a season of silence. Father, would you encourage them today? Would you strengthen them today? Would you remind them today that even when you appear to be silent, you are very much at work. And you know what you are doing, what you purpose to do, and how best to bring it about. And so, Father, we just, we, we just lay ourselves at your feet this Christmas season and just, just worship you as the God who is at work, even when it seems you're silent. And Father, I I pray today for some who are in this room right here, right now. Father, that today is the day for them not to just know about Jesus, but to know Jesus. To not just be able to recite words about the gift, but to personally receive the gift. Father, would you draw them to yourself father before they leave this room would you embolden them to have a conversation with someone maybe it's just to tell someone that they're trusting in you maybe it's just to have the courage to ask a question father just prompt them today to allow you to break through And Father, as we just are still before you in these last few moments, would you just take some of these questions that are before us in a box and just help us to get gut-level honest with you about where we've your silence how maybe we can encourage ourselves that you're still at work Father would you strengthen us anew and afresh today to stay faithful to live a life of faithfulness even as we walk through a season of silence trusting in you for the breakthrough Father, thank you. Thank you that you are at work when we hear it and when we don't, when we understand it and when we can't. Even in silence, we affirm today that you are at work. We declare this by faith in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to...